So, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson from Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I suppose you are too, but I, I've, I've ended up in full-on winter mode. Do you ever find that? It's almost like a switch. It's like you're just sort of cruising along and then bam, it's here. I know it's not officially here, but... I'm in winter mode all year round because I... <laughs> I just I don't like summer and uh, I don't like uh, like I the bugs hate me the heat hates me so like I never get out of winter mode so whatever so it's bring on the whatever yeah <laughs> I, mean, I could throw on a jacket no bugs outside now so. uh, that's a good point yeah I'll take that <laughs> <All right>. good <laughs> open sources is CFRU's political and Hernvers discussion show you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph Ontario Canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians which this week will be the Guelph MPP and Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner it's been a good week to have Mike on the show because that Auditor General report came out this week and it had some pretty harsh words about the government's environmental protection track record. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk to Mike all about that. Uh, that's going to be in the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about the news this week, including the We Charities scandal, which is back in the news. And uh, We Charities is hitting back at the news themselves. And we will talk about what all that means. But first, back to BC and the Wet'suwet'en territories where uh, the RCMP uh, decided uh, the middle of, you know, uh, mid- middle of a climate change crisis was a great time to go into the Land Defenders cap and bust some skulls. They say it was because of the Land Defenders who had blockaded the road, uh, the workers in the camps that are working on coastal gas link pipeline we're running out of supplies so the rcmp like had to go in there with dogs and snipers and military gear and armored vehicles to uh rough up some young people and some indigenous elders and uh, oh let's not forget legal observers and journalists yeah more of the same uh <laughs> this is a bit of a rerun of the past uh at least two times where mm-hmm. people have been uh, taken down and hauled in by the RCMP. And, in, you know, assuming that everybody in the police crew that were there were RCMP, they tend, I feel we've, t- we've talked about this more than once, how there's, there's the riot cop style police were there and then the militarized police. And there's just this sort of like, almost like their comms department who films everything. Film mm. that we'll never see that I guess they're using as evidence. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, observers uh, and journalists, I have seen a couple of tweets saying that the story isn't about the journalists, but since that's sort of our wheelhouse, we're going to talk about it a little bit because um, on Wednesday, the uh, footage that the documentary filmmaker was taking was, was released. I guess he was allowed to get his camera pack back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was released because he was released. So some of them were released with conditions. I don't think there's any on the journalists that shouldn't have been hauled in in the first place. Uh, but the, the other people that were arrested have to keep 10 meters away from all, uh, you know, trans Canada stuff um, or coastal gas link. I'm going to probably use those interchangeably. I just keep, you know, it's sometimes it's coastal gas link. Sometimes it's trans Canada, same thing. Uh, but one of the, and she's not an elder, but sp- a spokesperson uh, was given the condition that she has to stay. Uh, Molly Wickham, 
who is mm-hmm. a Slato. She's one of the key spokespeople in this. Seventy-five meters away from from uh, anything to do with coastal gas link. She can hunt and do whatever else, but uh, so there's these strange conditions being added to the their release and that like it's it's probably virtually impossible to stay away from this uh, project that's being rammed through their uh territory um mm. which is the cause of all of the the protests but yeah the, the the as you said state of emergency you would think that the rcmp any rcmp uh and emergency services people would have something else to do other than this mm-hmm. and it's pretty heavy-handed i don't know how many cops were there but it was a lot it was a lot, and of course, armed to the teeth. Uh, there's no, these protesters made it clear that they don't have any arms. There's no, mm-hmm. and the elders too. You mentioned the elders. They, uh, I'd heard that one of them needed their medications. Like no, no, so they can't. They can't have that. So yeah, the elders don't get their medications, but we will go in with batons and guns and bulletproof vests to get you know some. <laughs> like soup cans or whatever to the the workers, which I mean, abstent. It was supposed to be, and the RCMP, I believe, said these words: "It's a humanitarian mission." Well, if it's a humanitarian mission, why the big show with military force? Could you have just not sent a couple of guys in their regular work uniforms with some bags from Metro and said, like, "Hey, you know, we want to get some supplies for the workers. We realize, you know, you guys have a beef." But uh, we're not we don't want to let people starve to death in the middle of the woods. Could it be cool if we have this like arrangement like, you know, it's obviously the land defenders don't want to starve people to death. (laughs) If that is indeed something that was a danger, which I'm not 100 percent convinced of. No, and that it's it's any excuse time. And there was a a video of of one of the uh, cops. I keep saying cops, RCMP police. emptying the water out there. They had water yeah. stored to, uh, you know, for their, for their needs at their camp. Cause mm. it, there was a, there's a few different angles. This cause there was the, the um, checkpoint on the road. Uh, they call it a checkpoint. Others would call it a blockade. Uh, there was also, there was also a cabin that they had built on a spot that was going to be where uh, there was going to be the actual, I would assume it's the wellhead, like the digging, um, effectively the connecting point where the gas is right mm-hmm. um so they built a cabin the wetsuit had built a cabin on top of that and that that the the arrest footage and you should probably look it up if you haven't seen it. i'm sure you have adam um the busting through the door and hauling everybody out and there's a chainsaw involved as well i believe and that it sounds like that cabin they just kind of flattened it so they um the dialogues are just like, well, we're not, you know, we're not resisting you, but there, there's this whole, there's that, that's not just getting food through to some workers that are supposedly stranded somewhere up the service road. Right. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not what's going on there. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause if that, if that's what was going on there, you would just go through and give your so-called, I'm going to put it in quotes, humanitarian aid uh, to the people that are again, allegedly stranded up the road. So there's, there's obviously uh way more happening but um yeah i didn't know this what so it means water protectors or the protectors of the river or the specific river to that area mm-hmm. um which sort of I, I didn't realize that until researching this i'm like well this makes total sense as to why you know they want to protect the, the this significant body of water right there um uh so it's yeah it's 
it's it's one of those it's one of those things where you say uh, there's heavy-handed absolutely right um, it's one of those... did, did you see the injunction video too this is sort of the kickoff for all this where they showed up and like we're here from the and then yeah just like no you're not getting through get your stuff um go away yeah. um and that was the kickoff right yeah the the whole thing with you mentioned the the incident back when they were like tipping the water over and they were slashing tires and things i mean that came like a, almost literally a week after the first national day of truth and reconciliation so it's like oh good job with the truth and reconciliation there i guess uh that day's over uh it, it just the entire yeah, the red land acknowledgement <laughs> before they did anything right yeah <laughs> That joke's making the rounds, but I thought I would yeah. make it now. But yeah, that's that's it's, the level of like, well, we'll just wait until that's passed, and then we're just going to uh, move in. I mean, it's you know, it's not wrong. It, it it's almost literally that cynical. It's just yeah. Um, and if the RCMP are not part of truth and reconciliation, which I mean, if they're if we were to like sort of rank the groups that should be involved in truth and reconciliation, like if the government by departments, the RCMP would be pretty near, much near the top, since so much of their um, their existence is about like bringing the West to heal, and like who was out west as white people were heading out there? Well, it was indigenous people, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's just it's all it, it just all it just stinks to high hell. And then the other factor of this is like yeah, it's not about um, you know, we the the journalists and we're the most important. But on on the flip side of it is, um, they made it sound like Amber um Amber Bracken and Michael Toledino were kind of like just like round up rounded up in the in the hustle and the bustle of you know a, a police action. But it turns out like the RCMP were watching them. Mm-hmm. They were like they were researching them. They were trying to get background info on. So like now it looks like they targeted these two journalists. And of course it's it's not like CTV and Global and the Globe and Mail and the National Post all have people you know sitting on these camps waiting for this stuff to happen and getting to know local contacts it's small outlets like the narwhal or people like um michael tolandino who yeah. is a freelancer and can you know decide what he wants to do so you, you know what was were, were were amber and michael sort of rounded up as the usual suspects because they had like the RCMP had eyes on them and they want to teach people a lesson. And I was talking to Maura Wincup is one of the local uh, indigenous activists here. Uh, They had a action in downtown. A lot of people saw on the weekend Mm -hmm. and you know, her point is, you know, we want the media to come out and tell these stories, but it's also hard to get media to come out and tell the story if they're risking the possibility of being put in prison for days, which is what happened to Amber and Michael in this instance. So you get a twofer, you get uh, to, you know, attack indigenous people, but you also get a chance to silence the people who will tell indigenous stories. So, and unfortunately that's what it takes for it to break in the mainstream media. Cause it didn't, mm-hmm. I don't, you've been following it obviously. And, there was no the the coverage was all about the the floods and natural disaster, which is you know Fair. understandable, right? Yeah, yeah. But they but the talk and I remember it on the on the weekend the the talk about the pipeline was 
oh, the pipeline. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to check the pipeline and make sure that it's okay. Because, you know, this, this story was, was rubbed out by that until the arrests and until it was clear that, mm -hmm. you know, once you get all the journalists on side, it's like the story is going to come out. You know, the, those of us that follow Twitter and that knew about this and what was going on, but then to to finally hear it on, I'm gonna, it is the CBC. <laughs> it took it took a while for the CBC to like, oh yeah, and then there's this as well. But you know, isolated community, RCMP doing what they do and and shutting everything down, and and you know, the the, the rest of the journalists, of course, was targeted. There's no, there's no question. Like I said, they have their own comms team, and it would be like, oh, there they are again. Um, you've pretty much just got to target. If you're anywhere near there, you've just got to target. The same thing has happened to the South um, in in Caledonia and in other places too. And there was uh, uh, making the rounds was that famous picture from the Oka crisis of 30 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. And supposedly the journalist that took that picture was hauled in under the same scenario, mm -hmm. right? You're covering the story. You get picked up and it's like, oh, no, well, okay, sorry. But by then it's too late. You've been you've been taken, and this like you said, the observers, um, but also some Haudenosaunee people from out this way were there mm. in solidarity, mm. arrested as well, and um, some people upriver, and it's the Gitsan, right? The other the the sort of the cousins of the Wet'suwet'en were just taken. There's footage of them being taken down. They're just they're just sort of there, like beside mm. the was one. It was beside the river, maybe beside the same service road. I don't know the exact context. I saw it's just like, oh, you're here. Oh, you're here. Okay, bang. You're gone too. Like, it's just, just rounding up everybody, right? Mm. Oh, you and look I, like you might be a protein. <laughs> okay, you're gone, right? So I think you, I think people ridiculous. have to keep in mind too that when you know you see actions like, the, you know, the group here shut down the Wellington and Gordon intersection on Saturday, and like there was the usual gripes on social media it's like oh this was really inconvenient and it's like yeah that's the point of a protest is to inconvenient you so you can stop and be confronted <laughs> with these issues that people care about and i think this is kind of an important thing and it's it's also important to realize you know what happens in bc does have an effect here because at the end of the day it is all about you know the treatment of indigenous people and there's not a, such a great track record on that. And if you think it's over and now we're in a phrase of truth and reconciliation, well, look at some of those pictures. You can find them easily enough on the narwhal. Like these aren't like pleasant looking Mounties in their red tunics. These were like soldiers with, you know, uh, green camo and, you know, machine guns. It's, it's not a pleasant picture. And, you know, if, if you're not going to engage with a bunch of, enthusiastic young people in a downtown intersection uh you're, you will you really wouldn't want to engage with the look of some of these uh militarized cops in the wetsuwet'en territory no it's the same old story right like it's, it's it just all of this proves mm -hmm. that not much has changed the, the mm -hmm. trudeau and company will say oh no, there's no relationship more important than that with our indigenous people right oh that's the line. That's the it's, line that gets trotted out every time, and is, it, it is yeah. incorrect for him to say that. It's 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 a falsehood for him to say that because it's then this wouldn't happen. The RCMP answer, bottom line, they answer to him essentially, right? The federal mm -hmm. police. Mm -hmm. So, well, speaking of Trudeau and company, 
Uh, (laughs) (laughs) they've kind of washed their hands of the whole weed charity but that doesn't mean it's the end cbc's the fifth estate uh undertook a month's long investigation of the weed charity and their claims about uh using uh their funds to uh, build schools in africa and other parts of the world uh the fifth estate uh produced uh a piece that said that uh all the funds that we collect do not actually go to producing schools. And in fact, there are many instances where we used the same school and basically renamed it so that every donor group or large funder would be able to see the plaque with their name on it on the wall of the school. And that plaque would be swiftly taken down and then replaced with a new plaque with another donor's name. Uh, this has caused uh the We Charity scandal to come back to the front burner, uh, not the least of which because We Charity is hitting back, or at least their friends are. Uh, there's some friends of We who are uh, spamming social media, calling the Fifth Estate essentially fake news. And uh, Mark and Craig's mother is suing Canada Land for their White Saviors podcast, on episode two of which Guelph Politicast was uh excerpt, excerpts from guelph politicast were used um so i i hope i don't get named as a co-defendant well and <laughs> yeah and that's full disclosure <laughs> that's that's the challenge with this is because they're so litigious right it, that mm. that is the actual story i almost feel like we should put in a disclaimer right that we, yeah where yeah. we are talking about the story and not necessarily we oh, the views expressed on this show are those of yeah whatever right <laughs> That's Those right. of us and not of the station or the university or whatever. Okay, yeah. there. That's sort of a half-baked one, but uh, yeah, I guess it counts. I don't know because this is this is how they roll. And the, that campaign that you're talking about happened before this Fifth Estate episode had even aired, mm-hmm. so no one had seen it. Mm-hmm. No one had seen what Mark Kelly had to say. I managed to kind of cram it in uh, in in pieces this week, and. Uh, there was this flood of oh you're just you're just you're just doing this and uh, um but there has to be some truth in there there's no way the cbc would let that go and by extension canada land would let release anything like that unless a lawyer had picked it apart and that's the difference between them and us is that we don't we don't have a lawyer <laughs> i we guess don't have we a lawyer find to stand on yeah to pick it apart but yeah the re- it it's the, the renaming of the schools and the, the, the people that are involved. The, I, did you actually see the Fifth Estate report, Adam? Or? Mm-hmm. I've watched parts of it, yeah. You watched parts of it where there's just, they, they just use the same picture of a, a school over and over. And then the, the, there was a guy, I don't remember exactly who he was, using a script saying, uh, hey, so-and-so, the, here is the school that you built. And then scene two is like, hey, other so-and-so, here is the school that you built. Um yeah, you know, we we is denying this and saying, well, the funds were actually used for other things, including staff and uh, latrines. Um, right. But if if you are, and there seems to be a lot of uh, people in it who had dedicated schools to their late children, seem to be a trend. So it's like the somebody dies young, they're like, I want to raise money to build a school in the memory of my son or daughter, or you know, child. Uh, and it was one of those people who had testified at at um, in Parliament when they had the um, hearings, which we talked about at the time, um, he's just like, you can't believe it. It's like the, the, pra- the plaque was pried off 
mm. effectively ripped off the building and replaced with something else, relabeled, and then somebody else shows up as like, here's the school that you built. So they're reintroducing the school. And Kelly had that running total of schools built versus money brought in. And uh, it doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's important to realize, I mean, this goes for any nonprofit or charity. Like if you give $5, um, all that whole five dollars just as like a proportion like not all of those five dollars go to the delivery of services um it is understood that you know some of that goes to things like administration because if you're fundraising there is a person at that organization or several people at that organization depending on its size who are administering that fundraising so but i mean this is not that and it's, it's also important to note like the fifth estate is not the first outfit to make these allegations there was a oh. guy who testified to the parliamentary committee reed cohen who's american um who said like his son has died and he and his wife were looking for somewhere to put money to you know honor his memory they did they did it for we and they had the same story there was a school in kenya that had their son's name on it a few years later it had an entirely different name on it so i mean two points don't make a line don't make a, a a pattern but they make a line and it just seems that there was something wrong in the wheelchair. And plus, at, at the same time, um, wasn't it last summer that Craig and Mark go on CTV News and say how they're shutting down Wii operations? Why are people so, so strenuously fighting for the reputation of Wii Charity, which is supposed to be shut down? Isn't that strange? Isn't that peculiar? Very peculiar. <laughs> Everything about this is peculiar. The angles yeah. get stranger. Like the, the lawsuit from the Kielberger's mom with uh, with Canada Land mm-hmm. is uh, it's about an art. Like Canada Land talked about an article. They mm-hmm. talked about an article that was um, that mentioned that was about the, the a lawsuit from 1996. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it was about mm-hmm. financial alleged financial shenanigans of 25 years ago. And mm. it, I guess the Kielbergers won that lawsuit back then. Mm-hmm. But the mere mention of it still well, rankles them. And they, 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 they're trying to find an angle. Like, how can we go after Candleland, who we hate? Because our Candleland, I think it was last summer, like for a while there, there was the weekly podcast, I think pre-White Saviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just it was talking about all this then and and what what was that shot was it I don't can't remember which Kilberger was got the shot off and and Parliament about uh, how Candleland was pretty much fake news you know we don't consider Jesse Brown a real journalist and then it's like well well except that you know they were apparently having investigators look into Jesse Brown so it's like well is he a threat yeah. or is he not a threat um you know if is is he like a crackpot that's making up stuff about you in which case why are you sending private investigators to find out where his kids go to school i mean those are allegations Jesse Brown made um yeah it's I mean, of course, they're picking on Canada Land because Canada Land was sort of the first out of the gate to do like really in-depth critical coverage of Wii. And the original yeah. Jaron Kerr investigation, which I think was 2019, um, started you know slipping in the cracks. But of course, you know, they built this empire of goodwill and not, not just the goodwill of like going and building schools places, but this em- this developing goodwill with media outlets and having media partners like ctv news and globe and mail it's like well who did they go to to uh, have their like only real sit-down interview in the wake of this well they went to lisa laflamme of ctv news and i mean she did she didn't throw them softballs but she didn't like 
go after them like they had embezzled she didn't go after them like they embezzled money from a you know 19th century victorian orphanage so it, it they've bought in that goodwill and i was actually surprised that this fifth estate came out with something like this i mean it's just there are stories about how they've essentially like even at global uh, there was a global documentary that was supposed to come out about them that was kind of critical, and they kind of, and they were able to get it killed. Um, so it is somewhat amazing. And of course, you know the f- the first people uh, the Kielbergers attack after this first estate documentary come out is Canada Land, and Jesse Brown's like, "I didn't do it this time." <laughs> <laughs> He's the "I didn't do it" kid. Yeah, I, was like, I didn't it's, do it. It's like it's like this time it's not a Jesse Brown production, and. I mean, yeah, so the, they're going after Canada land because they think they can, they can basically yeah. it's, it's the it, whole RCMP thing all over again with the narwhal. But in, in a way, this is them getting back to their roots. Right? This, this is yeah. the kind of reporting that needs deep pockets to yeah. a degree, right? Yeah. Because you when it all fell apart, that. actually, when the, when the Kenyan government went after Mark Kelly and the gangs, he, he spoke to an official and then it was, all of a sudden they were like, it's pretty much, we have to leave town because we're concerned about our safety. Mm-hmm. So CBC calls them and says, okay, get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need somebody with deep pockets to be able to, to smack down the potential litigation. And at the same time, you know, review everything that you've presented. Mm-hmm. You can guarantee that a lawyer, at least one lawyer and probably more sit down and watch these things before they air, because then, you know, the, the bases are covered. It's like, is are we saying anything in here that can? And it, it you know, it's unfortunate that's the way, but that, that that's how we work. That's how a lot of these organizations work, right? There's no Find way. Find the dirt, smack yeah. them down, get your powerful friends to to have this campaign. Um, it's it's unbelievable. There's no way this went to air without it being seen by at least three guys from Osgood Hall. It's just, yeah. <laughs> is it just, it? it's, it, it's, it isn't Lionel Hutz. It's, it's, no, no, <laughs> no, no. They didn't go to Greenspan the mall. or spawn or, you know, take your pick. One yeah. They didn't wheel. go, they didn't go to the mall and pop into, I can't believe it's a law firm in orange Julius. And uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll have We're to laugh. But yeah. Yeah, we'll have to leave. Don't that. come after us, please. We're just a couple of. <laughs> that's, that's a good place to leave things. Don't come after us. Uh, you're listening to Open Source as well here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be right back with our guest this week, which is Mike Schreiner. So stay tuned. I change the world unless I change myself. Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 Macdonnell in downtown Guelph. Number 12 on the charts this week. 
that was, and I almost picked this just because I wanted to say the band name, the Snotty Nose Res Kids, <laughs> featuring uh, Ebon Empress and Jenny Lee. That song is called Change. Huh? Good. I hope they can afford some Kleenex. <laughs> Hitting the chart at number 12. The Snotty Nose Res Kids. Oh, wow. Uh, good stuff good stuff it works on solid indigenous levels. music works on multiple levels yeah uh one thing that hasn't changed is that doug ford is no friend of the environment and the auditor general more or less put that on paper this week she released a re- pretty scathing report scathing seems to be the word um that basically says the Ford government is not doing enough to consult communities about environmental issues or ignoring the environmental bill of rights uh Things go through the planning process too quick. Oh, boy. What a great week to have the Green Party leader of Ontario on the show. And uh, so, yeah, we had actually planned to have Mike on this week. And just sort of coincidence, it all worked out. So Mike has lots of stuff to say about the Auditor General's report, fighting Highway 413, uh, and whether or not Mike is worried that Doug Ford thinks Guelph is winnable for him at the... Sorry. next year's election uh, you'll have to wait stay tuned for mike's answer uh we're gonna hit play on that interview starting right now so mike schreiner thank you so much for joining us again hey my pleasure adam always always fun to be on oh fun we must be doing our jobs wrong but uh th- this is a good week and we didn't plan it this way to, to have the green party leader of Ontario on because everyone's talking about the Ford government and the environment. So let's dig into that. Um, just generally, were you surprised at the results of the auditor general report? Or was that, was she, was she preaching to the choir yesterday? <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was not surprised, but some of the data uh, surprise me. Uh, it just, just sort of outstanding numbers. So, for example, the number of permits being granted to essentially destroy uh, at-risk and endangered species has gone up six thousand two hundred twenty-six percent. Um, I triple check that number. I kept saying to my staff, this number can't be right. There's like no way, like 6,000 plus percent. Uh, and, and granted, um, some of that was based on numbers from the previous liberal government. So not all of the increase was was with the current conservative government. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you know, it just shows what a lack of commitment to protecting at-risk and endangered species, and in particular, protecting their habitat, which really isn't the surprise because we know the Ford government has been, you know, issuing an extraordinary number of ministerial zoning orders, oftentimes on environmentally sensitive land, such as the Dufferin's Creek wetlands, for example. Uh, we know that uh, they've been ramping up highway projects uh, for example, so the 413 alone would pave over 2,000 acres of farmland, 400 acres of the Greenbelt, um, pave over uh, or cross 85 waterways, which are vital to protecting us from flooding and cleaning our drinking water. So, so we knew that a number of those approvals were, were happening, and in some cases, the government's fast-tracking them, but, but the number truly was an outstanding number. It seemed like the Minister of the Environment was trying to, I guess, have his cake and eat it too in a certain respect because 
uh, his response was, well, our emissions are down. We're investing, you know, more money in transit than we are in highways. Um, is he, you know, I guess covering the bad news with the relative good news? And, and some of that is incidental too. like the reason why emissions are down is because we're not burning coal anymore, which was not a Doug Ford government initiative. Yeah, well, and it's also interesting because actually under the Ford government, climate pollution is going up, not going down. And so Ontario's emissions started going down under the previous government, primarily because of the coal phase out. And, you know, Ontarians worked hard to make that happen. Uh, But since Ford government has come in and, you know, they've canceled all the province's climate action plans, they've completely eliminated most of the energy efficiency and conservation plans. They've ripped EV charging stations out. They've canceled contracts for renewable energy projects. Uh, The list goes on and on. Climate pollution is actually going up in Ontario, not going down. I mean, the reality is, is the latest numbers we have are from 2019, because there's always a two-year lag in federal reporting on provincial uh, GHG emissions. So, you know, we'll get to see what 2020 is going to look like. And there might be a possibility that you do see an emission decline in 2020, primarily due to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. because we know globally uh, emissions went down temporarily. But here in 2021, they're they're tracking back up again. And I'm assuming that Ontario will be in, in in a similar pattern. Uh, you know, but here's the bottom line is, is the Auditor General has said over and over again, and every expert who's, you know, analyzed the current government's so-called climate and environment plan says that there is no way Ontario is on track uh, to meet what is what are weakened targets for 2030. Uh, and that's exactly why I put forward a Carbon Budget Accountability Act. Because I think, you know, what we're seeing both at the federal and the provincial level, where you have these targets for 2030, 2050, they're so far out there that we're not getting the urgency of actually reducing climate pollution right now. And I think historically, that's why Canadians, uh, largely, we haven't met our, our climate GHG reduction targets. And so I think that's why we need to start having government report on an annual basis of where the province is at, what the numbers are, and what the province is going to do uh, to hit our targets, because the science is telling us that we need to be reducing climate pollution between 7 and 8% every year. And, and so that's why having something like a, an accountability mechanism, like the carbon budget that, that I've proposed, that's why countries like the UK and France and others are starting to take that approach, uh, because it starts putting carbon counting, pollution counting on par with annual financial budgets. And given the, you know, the crisis that we're facing with the climate emergency, my gosh, we're really witnessing it in British Columbia right now, shows why, you know, we need to be having carbon budgets in the same way we have fiscal budgets. Is there any appetite, though, on the part of the government to enact that? I mean, have you had conversations like in person or otherwise that it gives you an indication that this is something the current government wants to pursue? Well, they voted down my bill, so it, it's, it's <laughs> that's why I was members, Yeah, yeah. So that, there's your answer. It's actually the first <laughs> private members bill I put forward that the government uh, has voted down uh, because I've I've really tried hard to um, you know put forward bills that I thought benefited Guelph, 
I've really based a lot of my my proposals based on you know feedback I've received from from people in Guelph. Um, but I've done it in a way that I, I thought would still attract conservative votes. And I did it with this bill as well, uh, because I was very clear when I was talking to government members about it, that this wasn't about telling government how to reduce climate pollution. Like I recognize parties are going to have different perspectives on, on how we do it. But this was just saying, like, are we gonna, going to try? And are we mm. going to have an accountability mechanism that shows how we are trying? And so I actually thought we would, I would, I, you know, ha- I was hopeful that I might have government support uh, because of that. And I actually modeled some of the accountability mechanisms around some of the financial accountability mechanisms the current conservative government brought in when it came to fiscal budgets. And so I was hoping because I had done that, that, that you know, there was a possibility they would support it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, they voted it, they voted it down. Returning to the Auditor General's report, th- there was one line from Bonnie Lissick uh, that ministries are not notifying and consulting Ontarians about all the environmentally significant decisions they should be. Uh, a lot of people were pointing out a lot of the discussion around MZOs and, um, how that the, the case of the MZOs seems to be the most apparent um, example of that because I mean you have the the wetlands project you were talking about uh, Stratford the gas plant it looks like the warehouse in Cambridge might uh, that MZO might be pulled uh, so I guess you know it, it, this priority to you know sort of make it easier to build these massive projects. Um, you know, has that kind of blown up in the government's face? And, you know, given that and now to have it codified by the Auditor General, might there be any desire on the part of the government to to sort of, you know, change that up to, you know, make that more of, you know, to bring that direct democracy back to get more input from people since we're just pulling these MZOs in a lot of these cases anyway? Yes, I think, you know, the Auditor General revealed two things that I thought should be a wake up call to the general public. One is the government is essentially violating people's environmental bill of rights to be able to participate in the decision-making around significant proposals that directly affect people's health, community well-being, and the environment because it's all interconnected. Uh, and, and by you know, not posting things on the environmental bill of rights, or posting them late or posting them in inappropriate ways. And then the second place was, was what you've identified is just the way in the heavy hand and abuse of ministerial zoning orders. I should be clear that I'm not opposed to ministerial zoning orders uh, of any kind. I mean, the previous government brought an MZO that stopped a quarry project that would have threatened in Flamborough that would have threatened drinking water and blasted into the Niagara escarpment. Um, They brought forward a ministerial zoning order to build a grocery store after the Elliott Lake uh, mall collapse disaster that complied with both local and provincial planning rules, but just expedited the process because people needed access to a grocery store. And I would say in the case of Guelph, where the city Mm -hmm. of Guelph and the county of Wellington have done extensive consultations around the public's desire to close the Dolime Quarry, which is the biggest threat to the, both the quality and quantity of, of Guelph's drinking water, and that we can expedite that process 
by utilizing a ministerial zoning order. And, and so I would say that's an appropriate use of a ministerial zoning order. And there's been extensive community consultation around that. You compare that to the situation in Cambridge, where I've had a number of people in Cambridge reach out to me and I've spoken out about the fact that the government um, particularly failed uh, in, in Cambridge's case to consult uh, with uh, First Nations. So mm-hmm. both, neither the hereditary or band council uh, chiefs of Six Nations nor Mississauga's the credit First Nation. And so First Nations in particular have raised concerns around, you know, failure for the government to fulfill its duty to consult. That happened with Duffins Creek as well. So I was working with Mississauga's the Scugog Island First Nation on, on that. Uh, and then also in Cambridge, you have a number of community members uh, particularly in, in the region of Cambridge, known as Blair, uh, that have said, you know, hey, we as citizens have not been consulted. And so, you know, I think it's, it's and you saw that in Stratford, of course, with the glass plant. You saw that in uh, in Dufferin's Creek with, with the proposal for the Amazon warehouse on the Dufferin's Creek wetlands. You saw that in Toronto um, with the foundry buildings. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it, to me, the problem is, is, the overuse and inappropriate use of ministerial zoning orders versus, you know, rarely using them, but utilizing the tool when it's appropriate and making sure you have extensive consultation around the use of the tool. And this is kind of one of those areas we talk about where the government seems to be malleable because even the minister of municipalities under questioning from the Cambridge MPP last, I think it was last week said, um, you know, if, if it, it, since it sounds like the community wasn't uh, engaged, then the ministry could certainly pull the MZO. Um, the government, we like to think of the government as monotonous blob that just does what it wants. But this government in particular has been susceptible to like community outrage. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, first of all, I would say that if the government was doing a better job of governing, they would not be doing things in a way that would lead to such community outrage, um, which is exactly why you know we have consultation processes in place. It's why we have land use planning processes in place. That's why we have a provincial policy statement. That's why we have um, you know official plans at the local level to avoid you know these types of controversies that then forces government to back down. And so I think if the government would do it right in the first place. And, and so what I find frustrating at times is I've voted against some of the government's proposals to fast track transit projects and to fast track highways. And in the case of the transit projects, not because I'm opposed to transit projects, it's just in some of the cases in Toronto, you already had approved, like city approved transit plans right. that were re- shovel ready and ready to get moving. And the government came in and used the heavy hand of Queen's Park and said, no, we're going to rip up your local plan and impose a provincial plan. And now we're starting to see in the case of Toronto, pushback in certain areas. So for example, in the Eastern part of Toronto, people are saying, hey, we don't want a Metrolinks uh, rail yard in the Don Valley. Like that wasn't right. part of the plan. And now you're imposing that. We saw that in Guelph. You know, I'm all for all day two way go, but, you know, we don't need an electrical substation in Margaret Green Park. Like it's the inappropriate place to put it. And so when you start fast tracking things, you make mistakes 
and community is going to respond to those mistakes because it directly affects their quality of life. And so that's why proper planning is so, so important. And I think that's where the government's gotten it wrong. And they have shown a propensity that if there is enough pushback, uh, they will back down. Uh, though I've been surprised that uh, in the case of Highway 413, where we've seen significant pushback, uh, both from people you know, on the ground and from municipal and regional councils along the route of the highway, uh, and significant opposition in the legislature from the opposition parties. And I'd like to say I was the first MPP to raise <laughs> the issue and lead the charge on that. Um, the government thus far um, hasn't backed down. And if anything, they're almost doubling and tripling down uh, and saying, hey, you know, come hell or high water, we're going to build this highway, even though there is significant and growing opposition to it. I was going to ask you about that because there, uh, there was an op-ed on CBC that said something to the effect that the PCs want to use it as a wedge issue in next year's election because all the opposition parties are against it. Um, but on the other hand, I was thinking, you know, a lot of those municipal governments um, from Halton Hills to Mississauga, they're, they've come out against it, too. And it's like, aren't they facing the same voters? It, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is where, you know, I, I think, um, I mean, I obviously don't have access to the polling data that the premier's office has, though I, I would argue, you know, let's not make uh, important decisions like this based on poll numbers. Let's make right. decisions based on what's good for the people of Ontario. And, and, um, and you know, it's interesting on this issue because, you know, I, I knock on a lot of doors in Guelph, checking in on people, asking them, hey, what's your, what's your top issue? What do you want me to be working on at Queen's Park for you and things like that? I can't tell you how many people in Guelph unprompted at the door, like stop this highway. And it mm. doesn't even run to Guelph, but I think yeah. it's because so many people in Guelph recognize how important it is one to protect prime farmland. I mean, she's all the major ag organizations, you know, their headquarters are based in Guelph. So I think people in Guelph have a real strong connection to protecting farmland. Uh, I think people in Guelph recognize the importance of protecting the green belt. Matter of fact, a lot of, constituents at Guelph are reaching out to me about expanding the Greenbelt um, to include, you know, the river valleys uh, in the region because protecting water is so important. Uh, so I shouldn't be surprised that so many people unprompted at the door talk about Highway 413, but I'm thinking, geez, if, you know, this many people in, in Guelph are talking about it, you know, what's it like if you, you live in Caledon or Vaughan and, right. you, you know, where you're going to be directly affected by it. And I know I was at a rally a couple of weeks ago in, in Bolton, I was asked to go to sort of, you know, speak and, you know, stand in solidarity with people who are opposing the highway and, you know, traveling, you know, I sort of took the back roads from Guelph to Bolton. And I can't tell you, man, the minute we hit sort of Halton region, all the way to through Caledon, all the way to Bolton, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many farms had stop highway 413 signs, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, at, at the, you know, at their driveways and things like that. And, and so there is significant opposition. So it, it'd be interesting to know, you know, why the premier thinks that this is such an important electoral issue for him yeah. and, and, and given how much local opposition, you know, I see on the ground. Yeah, the I mean, I grew up in Georgetown, so I, I know the areas around and uh, the small villages and the farms and things. Those people are in incredibly protective of their land. So it that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, given all of this, 
uh, and the issues we're running out of time to talk about. But I mean, do you think Doug Ford is sweating like this, like indictment from the Auditor General, like as he's looking towards next year's election? Like, is the environment going to be like, 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 a, is it is it going to be like a killer issue for him on the campaign trail next year, or does he think he can just like wiggle out of it? Yeah, I, I don't think the premier really cares, to be honest with you. It's been very clear from day one that uh, he he does not believe in addressing the climate crisis. Sometimes I even wonder if he thinks we have a climate crisis, given <laughs> the policy direction of the government. Uh, and, and it's clear by you know what he said during the election campaign in 2018 when you know he was caught behind closed doors saying, hey, developers, we're going to rip up the green belt and let you develop it. And of course, had to backtrack on that all the way through to you know a series of decisions, really starting from you know the very first day the legislature um, you know sat through to the present time. The premier has been systematically dismantling environmental protections in Ontario. I mean, it's everything from the Endangered Species Act, the Environmental Assessment Act, conservation authorities. Uh, Crown Forest Sustainability Act, Mining Act, I mean, aggregates, um, which is a huge issue in our region, um, you know, undermining, you know, eliminated the, the Toxic Reductions Act, which one of the big things that came out of the Auditor General's report is just the number of hazardous spills that are happening into our waterways and into our air, creating additional pollution. And then on top of that, billing the taxpayers of Ontario to pay for it, rather than having the polluters creating the pollution pay for the cleanup. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And so I, you know, I think the short answer is, is, is I don't think the premier is that concerned about it because mm. that hasn't really been part of his policy agenda uh, from day one, really. And so, you know what, I, I think at this moment in time, I think, you know, it's really important to have a green voice in the legislature uh, to push back and to, and to stand up and speak out on the things that I know uh, people in, in Guelph deeply care about, protecting our water, protecting our farmland, addressing the climate crisis, making sure we address the housing affordability um, crisis that we're facing in a way that doesn't, you know, increased sprawl building out on farmlands. And, and so, you know, I'm going to keep leading the charge uh, against the Ford government's agenda to dismantle environmental protections and to ignore the climate crisis. That is a great segue for the political question I was going to ask you last, which is uh, it did not go unnoticed that Doug Ford came to Guelph twice in one week. And I think it's the third or fourth time he's been here in the last several months. He said he thinks they can win in Guelph. How do you respond? <laughs> well, I will just respond by saying, you know, the people of Guelph will make that decision. And, you know, my job is to be the voice of our community at Queens Park and to really work hard for people uh, in my constituency office. And, you know, um, I continue to do that. And, and right at this point, I'm, I'm frankly more focused on, on helping our community get through this hopefully will be final wave of the pandemic uh, and, and to make sure that our community has the supports and the resources 
we need to address the issues that I know people in Guelph care about. And, and you know what, so I'm just going to keep working hard doing my job. And uh, hopefully I'll earn people's trust and earn their vote. But at the end of the day, that's really up to the people of Guelph, not the Premier of Ontario. Uh, maybe just last, uh, can I get you to comment on uh, Doug Ford's phrasing of Mayor Guthrie as an absolute champion? Because that seems to be his favorite sort of compliment to Mayor Guthrie. Is, is Mayor Guthrie an absolute champion in Mike Schreiner's book? <laughs> well, I would say uh, Mayor Guthrie, like mayor of any city, is going to be a champion for their community. And, uh, and you know, I can tell you on, on a number of issues, particularly getting through the pandemic, uh, Mayor Guthrie and MP Longfield and I have, you know, written joint letters and done a lot of joint advocacy both to the federal and provincial governments to ensure we have policies that support people in Guelph, uh, particularly a lot of advocacy around supporting small businesses, which I know, you know, is a huge, been a huge challenge in Guelph. Uh, you know, I, I think especially downtown Guelph, but just think of all the small businesses we have throughout Guelph, including, you know, down in the Hanlon Business Park. And so, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think, Mayor Guthrie, like any mayor, is going to champion wealth in his case, whatever city you're the mayor of uh, in, in, in that case. And um, yeah, the premier uh, likes to call his own MPPs all-stars. Uh, so uh, so I'll have to, the next time I see the mayor, I'll have to ask him if, if the premier's ever called him an all-star or not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's Doug Ford for you. Anyway, we'll have to leave it there. Mike Schreiner, thank you for all your time today. Hey, Adam, anytime. Pleasure to be on. And that's the end of that chapter. That was Mike Schreiner, uh, Green Party leader of Ontario, Guelph MPP, ready for election. Uh, although he probably won't be as enthusiastic about that as anyway. As we will be, probably. <laughs> I don't know how enthusiastic. I'm not really enthusiastic. That's what we live for. Maybe for an we'll election at this point. Maybe we'll have pizza and, you know, maybe just maybe Uh, I don't want to get my heart broke again. What's our exact date? June. Uh, It has to be June 2nd or before. June 2nd. Right. So I don't know. We'll see what happens and we will have lots of time to see what happens because that's the end of this week's show. We hope you liked it. Stay connected to us on our website at opensourcesguelph.com or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire or on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can go to my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And for all things CFRU, scheduling information, you name it, check out CFRU.ca. CFRU.ca, where you can also find DJ Sounds Good to Me. Here is here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m., of course, for another great edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then.